So here it is. In regulatory terms at least, this is the big kahuna burger. The final policy statement and guidance on the consumer duty. My colleague Mike Barrett has read everything so you don't have to. Though, as he explains, you probably should anyway. Here he is to talk us through the bits that'll keep you awake at night. Okay. Mike Barrett of the Lancat. It's, it feels incestuous doing a, a kind of when we're talking to each other like this. Yeah, it's a bit awkward having to speak to your colleagues. It's something I try to avoid if, if at all possible, but I <laughs> guess needs must. <laughs> Believe me, Mike, all your colleagues try to avoid it as well. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, okay, how excited, Mike Barrett, are you about the consumer duty? I think obviously very is the, is the short answer to that, but it really did strike me obviously last Tuesday afternoon when, when the FCA very generously released the papers kind of under embargo, when you immerse yourself back into the detail around it, which is something I haven't done for a few months, you just realise just how much there is to this. And yeah, what a regulatory page turner it actually is. It, there's a lot to it. So yeah, very excited. Yeah. So on that embargo thing, I mean, as, as you know, I, I kind of snuck in under the wire and got to go to the press briefing on it. I tried to contrive that as, look, I've got a podcast, so I'm, I'm, I'm part of the media now. So can I come along to the press briefing? And they're like, yeah, whatever. Cool, come along. We'll put you on the list. And then I got there and yeah. found Tom Selby from AJ Bell there. And I thought, okay, I needn't have gone around the houses on that one. If this seemed to have been yeah, pre- they... pre- pretty free with their invites on this one. But as you say, it was enormously helpful just to give us that heads up on what was coming. Yeah, I think so. I think that there's definitely the reality. So what was it? It was 200 pages of documentation that was coming out. So, yeah. so being able to actually have some time to read it and think about it and chat with you and Alison and anyone else at the Lancat who was interested before the, the embargo was lifted and you're expected to com- comment on this. Yeah, really, really useful. Uh, and it's yeah, a really sensible idea from the FCA. So one, I hope they carry on doing If you're listening to this, Sheldon Mills, do it again. So we are, yeah. And, and the Patrice Weeks, it was at the press office, is very helpful. Okay, so for the record... We've got a principle, we've got cross-cutting rules, and we've got outcomes. Do you want to quickly walk through those? Yeah, so all three of those areas were kind of the the part that we weren't expecting any change for. So I think just generally on on regulation, when you're at the stage of moving from a consultation paper or, or a second consultation paper into the final policy statement, it would be fairly unusual to see kind of any change in the regulation anyway in, in the detail that's already been published. And kind of the word on the street leading up to this point was that there was going to be no change in in, in the structure of, of, of consumer duty. And that, that absolutely was the case. So the principle to act, deliver good outcomes for retail customers, that was kicked around, I think, to get that exact wording on one of the previous consultations. That remained in there. Or think throughout this, it's as I said, it's kind of as you start to immerse yourself into the detail where things start to get more and more progressively interesting. So the cross-cutting rules and, if nothing else, the the, the word rule there tends to focus the mind of uh, certainly compliance people in, in firms. So acting with good faith, avoiding foreseeable harm, enabling to pursue to financial objectives. Again, all of those sound pretty good, sensible things to be doing, but yeah, from a implementation point of view, as we're we're talking now, exactly what those mean, mm. I think is going to be really 
interesting to, to kind of work through over the coming months, and particularly this concept of avoiding foreseeable harm and exactly what is and isn't foreseeable. And then if that wasn't enough, you then get into the into the four outcomes. So products and services, price and value, consumer understanding, and consumer support. I mean, all four of those are, are kind of, yeah, absolute doozies in their own right. So yeah, lots and lots of detail to, to work through. And and quite a lot of overlap with stuff that's already out there, um, so prod, value assessments behavioral economics stuff the fca's looked at before vulnerable customers i mean it this isn't dropping into a vacuum is it it's also landing on top of a lot of existing rules and regulations that overlap with this yeah definitely and i think that that's kind of one of the things you kind of have to navigate inevitably through these things where this work is aimed at all of retail financial services so perhaps you hear a lot of advisors come for example saying oh yes i always deliver good outcomes to from my retail customers and that's probably fine, but that's not necessarily the case about other companies in retail financial services. And as you said, there's lots of other kind of regulation which you need to piece together. So, yeah, on the advisor side, how does it interact with suitability rules, with platform due diligence and selection, all of those things, for example. And then I guess there's also probably one of the biggest things I think people still haven't really kind of comprehended unless you're on the sharp end of it is is the impact of senior managers regime mm. so that's obviously a a way to enforce the rules that are in place and those that enforcement can be fairly dramatic for an individual with potentially worst case scenarios fines levied on the individual and removing you the ability to work in the, the industry that you're working in. Yeah, pretty catastrophic for the individual's concerns. So, so that does tend to be rather, I've, I've seen it kind of at a board level with those senior managers that does focus the mind on actually doing, making sure that you damn well are following those rules. Lots to, as I said, because the usual kind of piecing together the jigsaw, which is needed there. One of the things that I was intrigued by, I mean, you mentioned SMCR and I think you're absolutely right about that and the, focus it'll it'll bring to bear for for those accountable individuals we'll come back to that one of the things that i was really struck by was this concept of proportionality and i really want to get your thoughts on this because i heard it in two forms one was big firm versus small firms and you know the proportional scrutiny of firms and compliance of firms but also and i think this was a really interesting concept for me was the proportionality of the resources you devote to getting the customers in relative to the resources you devote to looking after the customers once they're in and, and, and how the FCA is going to look at how businesses allocate their resources internally to demonstrate compliance with the consumer duty. Yeah, I mean, I, I think proportionality is is kind of one of the biggest words you could you could draw out of out of consumer duty. And if you do a word cloud in about six months' time of all of the conversations and podcasts, et cetera, et cetera, that would be fairly prominent, I think, on it. So. It's kind of, again, going back to the, I guess, the advisor challenge of how relevant is this to me as within my business? Yeah, absolutely. They, they will be focusing, the regulator will be focusing on making sure that the large firms with the kind of a direct regulatory supervision in place will be up and running and will be supervised accordingly. Both you and I will recall in kind of previous previous employers that having by just nature, by virtue of course, those those businesses were were directly regulated, yeah. close and continuous, those meetings will I'm certain have consumer duty on the agenda 
in the coming months if, if it's not there already. But yeah, recurring agenda item, I think, every time. Exactly. Yeah. 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 But equally, I mean, one, one of the other things the FCA have published in the last couple of weeks is their their annual data dump of analysing the intermediary sector and showing kind of the, the structure of the sector, the number of firms, or loads and loads of interesting stuff, and confirms what has always been in place for as long as I can remember. Half of the advice firms are one advisor band. So those types of firms are never, ever going to see a supervisor get regulated directly. So there's definitely that the proportionality of, of the impact into, into those firms is going to be felt. But like you said, I think that kind of all makes sense. And it would be astonishing if they did anything other than that, mm. <laughs> to, to be honest. But I think the more interesting part around proportionality is the comments around working your way through the consumer life cycle. So how how a customer will interact with whatever financial services company they're, they're working with and choosing to, to engage with. But in particular, making it as easy to to buy a product, sorry, making it as easy to exit a product as it was to to buy a product. Mm. And yeah, reading kind of some of the material that came out last week, I think the how a firm, how a business is directing resources within the wider organization will be one area which which the FCA will be looking at. So yeah, if you have 300 BDMs running around the country selling your products, and then nobody on the transfer out team, which takes eight months to get a, a, a pension that. transfer out of the business. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Then that is almost certainly going to be questioned under consumer duty. So yeah, that resource allocation is a really kind of interesting part around it. And again, taking that back to the advisor side of things, the that data dump that came out yeah. the other week shows that on average in an advice business, 75% of their revenue is serving existing clients so actually yeah are your resources devoted to that or are you still trying to get new clients in even for an advice firm i think will be an interesting kind of proof point around how consumer duty has been implemented really interesting yeah and i mean the other i mean you mentioned transfers out which is kind of a classic example firms tend to overstaff the departments dealing with transfers in and a bit less enthusiastic about manning the transfers out and i've i've come across tangible instances of that there was an example exactly around that of one of the examples of poor practice where an advisor instructing a transfer away from a platform which then sits on it for x amount of time and delays the transfer and yeah explicitly calling that out out as poor practice which will not to meet the standards required by consumer duty. One of the other things I've been doing recently is speaking to advisors about exactly that. So looking at system integrations and how well transfers are performing. And every single advisor I spoke with had an example of that poor practice. And every single one also cited a different provider as well. So it wasn't just kind of one or two bad eggs. It's almost systemic across the industry. So yeah, platform transfers are certainly something which the regulator is going to need to really grab hold of i think well yeah and you know they've been trying to do that for several years now without much success so this is going to get interesting i mean the other one i came across a couple of times recently was death claims you know where so how you deal with the trustees winding up the estate of an individual or family members and how sympathetically and speedily you deal with those people i mean to me that's just good business right you know there's one moment when you really want to look after people it's then if no other time right um yeah exactly it's that moment of truth isn't it yeah yeah i do come across stories of firms 
amazingly neglecting that. And to me, that's exactly the kind of thing that the FCA is going to be taking a pretty close look at, particularly, as you said, proportionate to the resources they devote in bringing those customers in in the first place. Yeah, I remember talking a few years ago about one of the more kind of premium priced financial advice businesses with a kind of a vertical integration um, tint to it as well. And you listen to some of the customer endorsements, which they've got on their YouTube channel, because I'm, I'm sad enough to look at those YouTube videos. And yeah, you hear the, the, the customers have said large VI firms saying that the partner, the advisor in that business helped the client through exactly that moment in life. So yeah, husband died. It was the lowest moment of my life and the partner helped me through all of the complexity and yeah, his support was invaluable. And that business is very, very good at recognizing those moments of truth and making sure that that's when they, they jump into action. So that when the client is asked about value for money, which is a topic we'll get onto in a bit, I'm sure, the client says, yes, absolutely invaluable. Yeah. It doesn't matter what they paid. Maybe the support they gave me was priceless. Yeah. I think there's there's, there's quite a lot you can learn from that, I think. Unless, of course, you try and transfer out in the first few years. Uh, Yeah, exactly. The flip of that is, yeah, you you get that wrong. And, and, yeah, that's when it can go very, very badly wrong. Yeah. So, I mean, let's talk a bit about, I'm really interested in, so culture, governance, accountability. You know, this has to permeate even, okay, one-man band advisory business, less complicated. Bigger businesses, you know, platforms with a few hundred people, platforms with a few thousand people potentially, fund management groups everywhere. This has to go right through the business, doesn't it? And it has to go. You, you've talked about, you've referenced, I think, kind of the, the board champions and the fact that it's got to go right up to board level. You know, they talk yeah. about putting a NED in place to oversee this. This is big stuff, right? Yeah, and all of this was kind of was new, really, or certainly in terms of the guidance. So. As I said, there wasn't really a lot of surprises on on the material when we first started speed reading it. All of the kind of the rules that we were expecting were there. Most of the guidance was just kind of expanding on the stuff that had been put out at the start of the year. But there is these two new, or there are these two new chapters towards the end, looking at firstly kind of data and MI requirements, which is again really interesting if you're into that sort of thing. But the the culture and the governance section, I think, is probably the the one which. If I was working for a large provider, I think that's the one I'd be probably looking at most closely. And particularly, as you say, kind of the responsibilities at board level. I mean, ultimately, I think they're expecting boards to treat this as seriously as they would do everything else a board will be treated seriously or hopefully treating seriously. So kind of finance, business strategy, risk, remuneration, whatever else a board does. Yeah, there will now be this standing kind of data item of consumer duty and that's kind of unpicking some of the earlier stuff we said that will be under senior managers regime that will be under a direct supervision regime as well so you it's not just a kind of quick five minute chat on on the board and yeah good practice will be having a duty champion they called it yeah. which is kind of worst superhero ever the, the joke around that but potentially a non-exec director who is given responsibilities for driving forward consumer duty and almost certainly that individual is going to want to have a reasonable kind of mandate to drive that change within the organization i don't think anybody's going to want to stake their own reputation again under senior managers regime without the ability to really influence the organization in the direction that it needs to go so 
I mean, these, these things take time and they take time to embed. And again, the kind of the proportionality thing stacks and some firms will take it more seriously than other inevitably. But there's a lot there, which if it all does come together in the way the FCA is hoping or intending, really, really could drive some quite significant and positive change within the sector. Well, um, we heard the FCA talking about how they want to be a more assertive and more data-led regulator. And then you think back to, to your point about the outcomes, the design of products and services, the price and value of them, the consumer understanding, which is not always that easy to measure, and the consumer support. And then you come back to those that board accountability. So you need a dashboard, don't you? You need a dashboard of yeah. data points. You And in order to work that out, you've got to sit down and work out what those data points are and what you're going to measure because you know what gets measured is what gets done. So across an organization, across those four outcomes, businesses are going to have to think about exactly what that, you know, when they sit down at the board meeting, what that out, those outputs need to look like. And that's, that's not a small task, is it? Yeah, and it's classic regulation. It's kind of, yeah, 90% of the, the answer or the outcome is the, is the process, is the evidencing, is that dashboard. And maybe a tiny 10% of that will be the actual answer which goes in, which comes out around all of that. But if you haven't done that 90%, you are doomed to failure and failure with some fairly drastic consequences, as, as, as we've said a number of times. I mean, the data side, I think, also reflects the, the structure of the market. So this yeah, half of the market are one-man band advice firms who are don't have a supervisor and are never going to meet a supervisor. I suspect the one-way, surefire way to meet a supervisor if you're a small advice firm is to not submit your data return on time. I would imagine you'll be getting a phone call fairly quickly around all of that. But yeah, for, for those firms in that space and 90% of advice firms have five advisors or less. So almost all of those, it'll be, it'll be about the data which they're submitting through their returns. The FCA in their role will be monitoring and will be, as you say, kind of dashboarding rack status to data that's coming out from that. Let's play devil's advocate for a moment here. The FCA is regulating, what is it, 50,000 firms, something like that. There's a lot of individuals in the industry. There's a lot of data points we've talked about here. Does the FCA have the capacity to actually meaningfully and effectively monitor all this kind of stuff? Or do you think there's a risk firms are just going to kind of pay lip service to it and will kind of knock up a report in a couple of hours on a wet afternoon and just kind of cross fingers and hope the FCA never comes knocking on the door? Because the chances are they won't. Yeah, I think there's definitely is that risk. But again, proportionality and kind of how that is going to start to kind of go through, to use another horrible phrase, the distribution chain. So there will be a role for platforms and the large kind of product manufacturers to be not only defining their own target market, but also kind of monitoring the way advisors are using the types of business which advisors are putting through through the platform. So it will have to be aligned to that target market. And we've seen that coming through already with some of the, I think there's been some discussion in the press in the last few days about Fidelity removing some funds off their platforms because they've kind of fallen foul of the target market definition and the value for money definitions which Fidelity have got in place. So they're removing them from from the platform. And yeah, there is certainly there is a rule under consumer duty that if you are in the value chain somewhere and you see another participant doing something bad, then you have to you have to shop them. You have to alert the FCA to that. But that also I mean talk me through this because I looked at that and thought, okay, so 
your business development managers, your relationship management between manufacturer and distributor has to get even tighter, right? Because yeah. because there has to be, everyone has to be on the same page. What is this product designed to do? How is it being distributed? What customers are buying it? How are they using it? Are we all aligned on this? And we've got to share data to make sure that we're all aligned on this. And so that flow of information up and down the chain is, you know, it, without that, I don't see how a firm could comply with the consumer duty. Yeah, and it's a really tricky line for platforms to tread. And you kind of use the words business development within that. And that, that's kind of the, the real tricky line there. So, so platforms certainly will be required to, to document and articulate who their target market is for the platform, for their own platform services, and why they think their charge for their platform is value for money and the benefits that that charge will, will realize for, for consumers. They will then be required to monitor that the, the clients who are going into that platform, which obviously the advisor is recommending, are aligned to that target market and are investing in, in a way which will enable them to achieve the good outcomes that consumer duty achieves. And I mean, as an example, you could see if there was no controls around that, an advisor could say, start deducting advisor charges in theory or loading up excessive charges into the product in theory. And the platform's role will be to kind of just to have that dashboard there and just to kind of make sure that that doesn't happen. But in all reality, it isn't going to happen. Most advisors are way too sensible to do it. But there could come a point where you're saying, right, actually, this total cost that the client is paying, we mm. don't think as a platform is going to deliver value for money. It's going to become self-defeating. And yeah, it takes it back to that business development point. That's a very, very difficult conversation to phone up as a platform provider and basically tell an advisor how to do his or her job because you can almost certainly guarantee they're probably not going to use you again when that happens. So Happy days. And also, if we're in a world, I mean, just hypothetically, we're in a world of low investment returns. And if, if everybody's generating 10% a year, that gives you a bit of wriggle room. If you're only getting real returns of a couple of percent a year, that makes it quite a lot harder to tick that value for money box, doesn't it? Yeah. And again, it's that 90% of having the process and the governance process in place to ensure that that doesn't come in. But you can, yeah, I don't know, 30 basis points for a platform, 80 basis points for a, for the investment solution, 1% for the, for the ongoing advice charge. That's, yeah, 200 bips you just suddenly hit that particular point so yeah whatever your view is on costs you need to kind of have that view of what is reasonable what might need a bit of file checking perhaps and yeah a bit of investigation to see what's going on there and then there ultimately comes a point where in theory it becomes self-defeating as you said the expected level of returns outstripped by the charges that are there so it's again emphasizing it's that process it's the governance to make sure that that doesn't happen making sure that you've got that in place rather than that's happening across the board because it probably isn't. It's just making sure it doesn't happen ever again. So something flat you flagged to me was FOS and concerns about, well, a couple of areas where you think FOS is going to get relevant in this in terms of FCA monitoring data and also this question of alignment. So just, just talk to me a bit about those questions. I think there's two parts to it. So FOS... We kind of just mentioned kind of MI and indicators of how well a firm, a provider perhaps is doing in their own responsibilities under consumer duty. And I think the judgments that FOS will issue 
are a reasonably good indicator, effectively some free MI around all of that. So yeah, the more judgments a firm has against it, I think is going to get the attention of the regulator fairly quickly. And you could also see kind of other advisors starting to kind of look at that as well from their, their side of the fence. It's probably kind of down the line. Yeah. So what are we a year from implementation? So probably another couple of years down the line until FOS really start kind of passing judgment under consumer duty. Mm-hmm. And there is a concern we've heard from advisors and compliance bodies already that FOS are effectively going to kind of set their own interpretation of the the more kind of open to interpretation parts of consumer duty. So they sting around acting with good faith, avoiding foreseeable harm. What's that really foreseeable, this thing which has ended up under on the desk of FOS? And there's a risk that they just start to kind of set their own precedent, create their own case law effectively, and just kind of ratchet up the requirements for advice firms under consumer duty. So I think it's not too hard to see a scenario where advice firms are going to need to keep an eye on kind of FOS judgments coming out all of the time just to make sure that they're aware of what FOS, the latest thinking of FOS is. This is one of these classic situations where if you ask the FCA and or FOS, is there an issue between the two organizations? Are they aligned? Do they communicate? Then both parties are, no, 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 it's all fine. No Absolutely issues whatsoever. Aligned. No question. And then you, you go and ask advisors who are, are kind of at the, see it from the their side of the fence and you get exactly the opposite answer. So yeah, it's, I think this, this is certainly one which it, needs to be you need to keep your eye on i think yeah interesting indeed so the headline that we got fed on the tuesday morning when they did the press briefing was ah oh, we're going to give you all a bit more time you know we understand this is quite hard work so we're going to push it out to 12 months from now from july so you've got 12 months to get get up and running with all of this and i tell you what we'll even give you another 12 months for your closed back book of business as well so that's two years for that stuff and initially, there's a bit of kind of, oh, well, that was very nice of them, wasn't it? And then you yeah. picked it up when you start reading through the actual policy statement. It's like, oh, yeah, but by the way, you've got to get all your plans sorted by October. And so actually, if anything, there's less wriggle room than we thought before now that they've actually published the final policy statement. On this. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if it's just me with August and I'm about to go on two weeks holiday and go abroad and go and watch some cricket and switch off for basically the entire month. But it seems to me I'm not the only person who goes on holiday in, in August. There's, there is a danger with this that firms would say, right, that's it. We'll worry about that in September when it's back to work and back to reality after the summer. And the real danger is you're going to do that. And then you're going to, particularly the larger firms, are going to see that agenda for the October close continuous meeting coming through and yeah, signed off board approved implementation plans for consumer duty will be on that on that agenda. So yeah, real sting in the tail. It's been quite surprising actually. We've had a number of firms off the back of some some of the material we sent out last week saying, "Does this apply to us? What do we need to do? Don't think there's much we need to be doing that that type of thing." Yeah. And yeah, my answer to all of those is inevitably with kind of a little bit of kind of classic consulting of oh yes there's a lot to do but yeah you should ring mike at this point yeah 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 but it's genuinely a lot to do i think that is dangerously misleading almost to kind of think that 
that delay to July next year is is actually going to make things a lot easier because you've got that October deadline for the larger firms. And also from the manufacturer side, a lot of the material which a manufacturer is going to have to produce in terms of their own target market definitions, Mm. their own disclosures, their own processes we talked about, all of that's got to be in place for April next year anyway. So the old April deadline effectively, because it gives then three months for the distributors to start to work out how they're going to use that information. So yeah, loads to be doing in the next 12 months, I think, certainly. And also from a kind of commercial business competition point of view, the quicker you, I mean, particularly thinking about the manufacturers here, but I think it probably applies to the distributors as well. The quicker you can define your target market, the client characteristics, what, who your product's suitable for, who it's not suitable for, what value for money looks like, what kind of communication you think customers should receive relating to the product. The sooner you get all your ducks in a row, you know, if, if, if all your competitors are still sitting there scratching, indeed, they've, got, they've gone off on holiday with Mike, they're watching the crickets, you know, they're not really thinking about this yet. There is definitely a commercial opportunity here, isn't there? In, in, I mean, you don't, want to, you don't want to rush it, but if you get on with it and get out there and start talking to your distributors, that's good for business, right? Yeah, I think there's, there's definitely going to be that kind of first mover advantage for a lot of this. So advisors will be wanting kind of some help to understand how to implement it. And also they're going to need help in terms of the real specifics for target market definitions and all of the stuff we've talked around that. So that's the stuff I'm starting to look out for from providers. It's it's too early to see it now. And yeah, there was the predictable kind of quite a few providers last week saying, yes, we supporting on consumer duty. We're going to comply with the rules. And well, of course you are. You're not, you're regulated. You're not, you're <laughs> not going to say, flag yeah. saying, not us. We yeah. Don't, nah, don't fancy doing this. Yeah. And yeah, it's the ones in a few months time who'll be able to say, kind of have that first move where it's, yeah, generally we are ready here you go, Mr. and Mrs. Advisor, this is what you need to carry on using us and yeah, articulate this to your clients, et cetera, et cetera. I think the ones who can do that, if it's kind of that balance, isn't there, of getting it generally accurate and well thought through and useful to advisors and actually getting it out there as quickly as possible. Yeah, good. From an advisor point of view, I mean, one thing that I've just been kind of reflecting on is given the focus on value for money, apart from other things, you know, price, service, Think about it from a distributor point of view. Do you think this could exacerbate the advice gap problem? That actually you're going to get advisors shying away from some potential clients to say, well, it's a bit of a marginal client for me and I've got to charge this much to even get out of bed. So, you know, now there's this consumer duty focus. Maybe maybe I'll just redraw the boundaries a bit and say, I just don't talk to people in those kind of client definition categories because because I can't I might I might struggle to definitively prove that I'm complying with consumer duty from all the prices point of view. I think consumer duty will probably be referenced somewhere on the kind of a list of things that are contributing towards the advice gap, which is another podcast for another day, perhaps that entire that entire topic. But I think what it does do, it requires firms to do that real kind of detailed target market definition. These are the clients who I want to be going after. These are the services which they want and need in their financial lives. This is what I'm going to charge for them. This is why those services will actually benefit for them. And this is how we evidence that they're getting a good outcome and that uh, that is value for money. Mm. The advice firms I know who've gone through that already, it reinforces to them that there is a fairly kind of rich seam of consumers, most of them in the ad retirement space, 
who have a lot of complexity in their financial lives who want and need financial planning with ongoing servicing. And the, the demand for the, the advice services that most advice firms are offering is outstripping the ability to supply. So it kind of becomes, a, as you say, that commercial, why am I bothering serving clients outside of that segment when it's, yeah, there's more profitable ways to spend my time. And again, we've, we've been speaking with advice firms about this kind of this broad picture of advice gap and servicing their clients recently. And, it's interesting. We one of the questions we asked advisors was if if you could magically get kind of fifty percent more time in your week, what would you do with that time? And it's a combination of kind of serving more of my target clients, that type of client, or improving my handicap, yeah, spending more time on the golf course, with addressing my work life balance, serving clients in a different segment, addressing the advice gap. All of those things is very much third place behind those two drivers. If you could manage to find more time in the week so i don't think consumer duty makes it even any better or worse it's just kind of almost reinforcing the point that the advice gap is an issue but it's one which i don't think advisors should be solving it's one which the regulators should be solving and policy makers and government etc cetera, etc cetera. yes as the fca never tires of pointing out it will require changes to primary legislation to move the advice guidance boundary and it's beyond our pay grade, so just just stop asking us questions about it, please. Yeah. yeah um, okay, so look, lots lots of fun and games here. What's your advice to, to businesses? We're just recording this at the beginning of August. You at least are about to go on holiday. There's the October deadline for large firms. There's the July deadline, which will come around fast enough. So, you know, we're talking to a whole spectrum of businesses here, from fund managers to platforms to advisors, whatever, and I appreciate that. So there's no there's no one-size-fits-all solution for, for these businesses. But what are your thoughts on what firms should be doing at this point? So I think there's, yeah, there's that proportionality thing. And, yeah, if you are in a large firm, you need to be taking this seriously. And I think for a large firm there, it's kind of product manufacturer, product provider, that type of thing read the guidance as much as the material we've put out in this podcast hopefully have been helpful actually read through through the guidance there's a lot of there, examples in there weren't there yeah yeah exactly and some of it is kind of yeah more kind of around the scenes and interesting to kind of our wider financial lives rather than the sectors we work in but yeah read the guidance and then from there i think the next step is a reasonably kind of formal business impact assessment so whatever type of firm you're working in, thinking about all aspects of the business and how does this actually, how do these new rules, how do these four outcomes, how do these principles impact the business and which are the areas we really need to start focusing on and yeah, getting some sort of plan in place. I think for, for any kind of large delivery, that impact assessment up front tends to be a really, really sensible, prudent step to be taking. And I think that absolutely that's, that's what I'd be saying to anyone who wants to have our help with that. Good stuff. Anything else we haven't talked about that you think we should? Have we got that covered for now? I don't know. Um, just looking out the window. The sun is shining. It's mm. quite nice. And as I said, holler, it's August. It's holiday month. So, yeah. Should we go for a bike ride at this point? Yeah, possibly. It's a bit, bit hot today, I think. So, we'll, we'll see. <laughs> good stuff, Mike. Really good to talk to you. Thanks very much. No problem. So there we are. I've put a couple of helpful note links in the show notes. If you want any more information about the consumer duty and what it might mean for your business, do get in touch. Thanks for listening.